Luke chapter 5. Omid's going to read to us from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 32. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one, that, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. He said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing attest as testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. One day, as he was teaching... Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come with every, from every village of Galilee and from Judah and Jerusalem were sitting there and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the Lord began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. 
he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been laying, lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Amen. Well, it's time to pray. Let's bow in prayer. Gracious Father, thank you so much for uh, giving us your word that uh, uh, really helps us to know your son Jesus better and to understand our state before you and what you've done for our benefit. Father, help us now to listen, help us to, uh, uh, to change so that we would be uh, living lives that are reflective of the grace that you've shown to us and anchored in that grace. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Evil Knievel was the iconic 1970s daredevil. Remember him? Uh, he amazed the world through his heart-stopping motorcycle jumps. Uh, between 1965 and 1980, Evil Knievel attempted more than 75 death-defying uh, motorcycle jumps, ramp to ramp, or even canyon side to canyon side. And what he really wanted to do was to jump across the, the Grand Canyon, but uh, the US Interior Department refused to grant him airspace uh, to do so. Uh, but uh, in 1974, he did have a shot at a smaller canyon, which was the Snake, the Snake Gully Canyon. And he did so in a steam-powered uh, rocket, which crashed. So he didn't quite make it all the way across. Uh, he was the original Captain Risky. And uh, <laughs> he was. The, the, Guinness, in the, the Guinness Book of Records had him down as the, uh, the holder of the record for the, quote, survivor of the most broken bones in a lifetime. <laughs> That's Evil Knievel. But worse than the broken bones were the broken relationships. Uh, he lived a self-indulgent life a life of uh, fame, of wealth, of arrogance, uh, a life of as many women as he wanted, and he was a violent man. He spent three years in prison for uh, brutally and viciously assaulting a uh, business uh, colleague uh, across the head with a baseball bat. As a kid growing up in the 1970s, I, you know, it was easy to love his exploits, but as I learned a bit more about his life in a TV documentary recently, I found it was a little not so easy to love the man. You know, it's good that God's love is not like 
our love, uh, because broken by the effects of his sin, towards the end of his life, he faced up to his unworthiness. He asked God for forgiveness and he put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the last words that he ever spoke on his deathbed, just before he died, were the words, very powerful words, I'm sorry. You know, the Christian church has a unique membership requirement because the only people who can belong are those who don't deserve to belong. In fact, if someone says that, uh, if, if someone were to say, I do, I do deserve to belong to God's family, then they actually don't deserve. They can't belong. Because the only, the, the key membership requirement is that you don't deserve to be a member. Because the basis for belonging to God's people, God's church, is not our goodness, is it? The basis for belonging to God's church is God's forgiveness. That's the basis. And yet how easy is it for us to, to forget that? To kind of know it in our heads, but actually to be really thinking and behaving as if we were somehow more deserving than other people. It's an attitude which surfaces in uh, Luke chapter 5, our passage this morning, where Luke tells us about Jesus connecting with a variety of different people uh, in the early part of his ministry. And if you open up at Luke chapter 5, we see that the first of these people is a man whose name is Simon. Now, we get to know him uh, Throughout the, throughout the Gospels by another name, a name that Jesus gave him, which is the name Peter. But uh, here in uh, chapter 5, in verses 1 to 11, uh, he is Simon the fisherman. That's the man who Jesus meets. Jesus, we're told, was teaching by the lake of Gesenaret. Now, the, the lake of Gesenaret is just another name for the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he's... Uh, He's teaching. There's a crowd of people by the lake and the crowd gets so big that they start to press on in uh, around Jesus. Now, there's a couple of fishing boats there that are very close to the shore. One of them belongs to this fisherman named Simon and so uh, Jesus hops into one of the fishing boats and he says to the owner, Simon, look, can you just push out a few metres and uh, that way... Uh, Jesus would actually be able to uh, have a bit of space between him and the people so that people could see him more clearly and they could hear what he had to say. But it's when he finishes saying what he wants to say that uh, things get interesting in this particular recounting of it in uh, Luke chapter 5. Because the, um, in, in verse 4... Uh, Jesus tells Simon to take the boat out a little bit into, into some of the deep water and to drop the nets. Jesus says, Simon, we're going to do some fishing here. Go out into the deep water, drop the nets. Now, Jesus is a carpenter. Simon is a professional fisherman. Which one should know about fishing? Well, Simon, of course. And Simon says, look, 
He said, we've been fishing all night and we haven't caught a, a single fish. There's nothing out there to catch Jesus. But nevertheless, Simon has a respect for Jesus. In fact, uh, he calls him master. And so, against his professional judgment, he obeys. And in verse 6, he's gone out a bit further, they've dropped the nets, and the nets were so full of fish that when they pulled them up, the nets began to tear. In fact, uh, there were two boats, two fishing boats could not hold the fish in the nets uh, without starting to sink. And yet, what's interesting here is rather than rejoicing in this, what would have been a great financial bonanza for, for Simon, have a look at his response in verse 8. In verse 8, he turns to Jesus and he says, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Now, it's easy for people to think of themselves as not being particularly sinful. And uh, part of the reason for that is that when we think about sin, we compare ourselves to, to others, don't we? We compare ourselves to other sinners. And when we compare ourselves to other sinners, maybe we're not quite as sinful as they are. Maybe we are. But, uh, but, but here, Simon, uh, he's been fishing these waters for a long time. And he knew that what had just happened was a miracle from God. And so he now calls Jesus not just master, but Lord. Now, it may be, I mean, sometimes I would call a person Lord in the same way that we might call a person Sir as a term of respect. But in the, uh, the Gospels, it's so often applied to God himself. And so he's not calling him Master. He now calls him Lord. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. We don't know much about Simon's life before this. We don't know uh, how he lived or what sort of things that he'd done in his life. But we do know that in the presence of Jesus, who is the gold standard, he felt ashamed. He felt unworthy to even be near Jesus. He was overwhelmed by his sinfulness. Now, this is not the end for Simon. This is actually a fresh beginning because uh, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Uh, from now on, you will catch men. Uh, you won't be catching fish for death. You'll be catching men for life. This is not judgment. This is forgiveness. It's acceptance. It's even partnership that Jesus is offering. Such powerful grace that Simon, with his companions, James and John, left everything in order to go and follow Jesus. By the way, it's not just the boats and the nets that they left. They're walking away from the biggest catch of fish they've ever seen in their lives in order to go and follow Jesus. Because in the presence of Jesus, what did Simon think of himself? He evaluated himself as being an unworthy sinner. Now, secondly, in verses 12 through to 16, Jesus meets a leper. Uh, leprosy is, a, of course, a dreadful disease. It uh, attacks a person's nerves so that they can't feel uh, you know, very much. Uh, it attacks their flesh. It is a dreadful disease. 
And in the, on, in the ancient world, the only, uh, the only defence against leprosy was quarantining the leper. Uh, in Leviticus chapter 13, uh, uh, anyone who uh, had leprosy was uh, commanded to stay outside of the camp, not come into the camp, not come into the, where people were living. Uh, in fact, uh, when they were near people, they had to call out. They had to say, unclean, unclean, as a warning to others so that others could flee, uh, lest they uh, connect with them. Uh, so it's not just the physical suffering. There's the, the social suffering, the social isolation, and with it, of course, the, the psychological effect of that, which uh, we can only imagine. Uh, it's worth noting that in the Bible that the word leprosy uh, refers not only to what we would technically call leprosy, but to a range of various other skin diseases as well, some of which were healable. Uh, and so, um, but what it means is that anyone with skin diseases uh, had to stay away, couldn't come inside the camp. If someone had a skin disease and they were healed from it, then in Leviticus 14, they had to go to a priest who would act as a, like a health inspector, look at the person's um, condition and, uh, and write a certificate of clearance uh, to say, yes, this person has been inspected, they're allowed back into the camp and you can mix with them. But it's more than that, though. It's more than that because leprosy made a person ceremonially unclean in the sight of God. And so as part of the uh, restoration process, a, 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 a sacrificial offering would need to be made, a, a sin offering would be made by the priest. So that's the background. What would happen then when Jesus met a leper? Well, in verse 12... There was a man who Dr. Luke says was covered with leprosy. Uh, the, uh, the, the term he uses is, uh, is full of leprosy. Uh, this is not just a minor case. This is an advanced... Dr. Luke declares this as an advanced case of leprosy that this man is suffering from. And we, can, we cannot imagine his suffering. We cannot imagine what he had gone through... What we do see is that he's, he's absolutely desperate. He's so desperate that he, he breaks the quarantine laws because we'll note that Jesus is in a town when this man, this man actually comes into the town in order to get near to Jesus. Now, what does he think of himself? What's his attitude? Well, he's not particularly arrogant, is he? Uh, he says... Lord, if you are willing, you are able to heal me. Uh, he doesn't turn up to Jesus and say, Oi, you know, my turn, you know, fix me up. No, no, he actually, he falls down on his face. He falls down onto the ground and he begs. He begs Jesus. He begs with a faith that knows that Jesus is actually able to heal him. Now, other people who were around at the time, uh, they're not mentioned here, are they? They would have fled at the sight of this guy. They would have absolutely fled. They would have left the scene. 
but not Jesus. It seems that the man did keep at least a small distance away from Jesus because in verse 13, Jesus had to stretch out. He had to reach out his hand uh, to the man and then he does something which is absolutely stunning, absolutely unheard of. He reaches out and he touches the leper. How long has it been? How many years has it been since this man had any human contact like that? Jesus reached out and touched the leper. And what does he say to him? He says, be, be clean, be clean. Friends, something extraordinary is going on here, something which is actually a, a little taste of the gospel itself. Because as Jesus, we're not told in other healings that Jesus actually touched the person, but here he touches this man. And as the man becomes clean, Jesus, by touching, becomes unclean, ceremonially unclean. It's a little taste of the gospel when he who had no sin became sin for us. When uh, on the cross, that our, our, our uncleanness became Jesus' uncleanness and his cleanness became our cleanness in the sight of God. It's a beautiful little snapshot of the gospel here uh, in this interaction. Now, there's a third person whose life was changed by Jesus. Uh, in verse 17, Jesus is he's teaching inside a, inside a house, someone's home, and it's, it's absolutely packed. It's a crowded house. Uh, there are so many people that have come to be near Jesus. Outside, there is a, a man who is paralysed. He can't walk. Uh, his friends had, had carried him there to the house on a mat in order that he might be healed by Jesus. Problem was they couldn't get inside. So in verse 19, they climbed up the stairs that would have been alongside the house. Uh, the, those Judean houses uh, and Galilean houses had flat roofs. So he, they've climbed up this, the staircase, carrying the man on his mat, up onto the flat roof, and uh, there they have uh, they've started digging. They've, um, uh, they've, they've, they've broken a hole through the tiles and then they've lowered the man down into the room of the house. They've lowered their friend on his mat and he actually ends up right in the centre, right in front of Jesus. Now, that's what I call enterprise, don't you? They weren't backwards in coming. They were going to make sure that Jesus got to see their friend. And I imagine that they were hoping that Jesus would say to their friend, like the leper, that, they, that uh, he would say, friend, be healed. Be healed. But there were other people there on that day. We're told that there were religious leaders, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law, and they'd come from every town, every village in Judea, in Galilee, and they'd come from Jerusalem, 
And they were proud. They were self-righteous. They were judgmental. These were the men who thought that they deserved to be part of God's people because of their goodness. They had a different attitude to Jesus. An attitude which needed to be exposed for what it was. And so, instead of healing the paralysed man, take a look at uh, what happened in verse 20. Uh, If you go back to verse 19, we're told that they lowered the man through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Your your sins are forgiven. That maybe not have been what he was expecting Jesus to say, although he was pretty grateful for it. But it raises an issue, doesn't it? It actually brings the attitude of the religious leaders to the surface. Uh, Because in verse uh, 21, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks such blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And indeed, that's a good question, isn't it? That is quite right. Uh, Because God alone can forgive sins. And so if Jesus here is claiming to forgive the sins of the man, then there's only only two options here, isn't there? Uh, Either Jesus is a fraud, he's a blasphemer, or he's God. Now, these guys have already made up their mind uh, that this man is a, a blasphemer. Uh, and uh, Jesus, they've actually, in a sense, if Jesus has lured them uh, in order to expose the attitude of their minds. Because Jesus says to them, all right, I know what you're thinking. Now then, which is easier? Is it easier to say to someone, your sins are forgiven, which... You know, once it's said, there's no way of telling whether or not their sins are forgiven or not. There's nothing tangible that... Or is it easy to say to a paralytic, someone who's been uh, unable to walk, to get up, take up his mat and walk home? And everyone's stunned. And Jesus says, so that you may believe that the... Son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He turns to the paralysed man. He says, get up, take your mat and go home on your own two feet. And he does. He does. Imagine that. Imagine someone we knew who wasn't able to walk. And imagine someone we knew who had been in a wheelchair all his or her life. And they meet Jesus. And Jesus says, stand up, get out of your chair, you can push it home. And the person does. How would you feel about that? Would your eyes be dry? (laughs) Of course not, of course not. And this man and all those who were with this man, he went home praising God, praising God because he was able to walk And he was forgiven of all his sin. 
And friends, it tells us that Jesus knows that our priority need for all of us, no matter who we are, is the forgiveness of our sins. There is another person who Jesus connects with. Um, Because in verse 27, Jesus meets a tax man and his name is Levi. Anyone here work for the tax department? You can can admit to that now if you like. Nobody? Okay, good, we're free to speak. Uh, No one loves the tax man, do they? No one loves it. I went to, the accountant did my tax the other day and she said, the good news for you, Scott, is that you owe the tax man $250. (laughs) And here's my my bill for $180 as well. (laughs) Thank you very much. No one particularly loves the tax man. Uh, But in the first century in Palestine, they were despised as being pure evil. Pure evil. There was good money in it but you had to sell your soul. You had to collect tax from your own people to finance the Roman enemy. Uh, Tax collectors became filthy rich because they were able to, they had a certain amount of money that they had to collect and over and above that they could ask whatever they wanted for themselves. They became filthy rich But they realised, some of them realised that in fact, although they had this great wealth, that they were social lepers. We see that in in Zacchaeus, don't we? How excited he was that Jesus wanted to connect with him. Social lepers, because no one wanted to be their friend. No one wanted to be the friend of a tax collector except other tax collectors and other sinful people, people who've been, you know, are not generally approved of by society. There's one other person who uh, was a friend of tax collectors, and that's Jesus. Uh, Jesus uh, walked up to Levi's tax booth and he invited him to leave it all behind and to follow Jesus. Which astonishingly, Levi did in a big way. I mean, when Simon Peter and his friends, when they left their fishing boats, well, if it didn't work out well with Jesus, they could always go back to fishing. But by walking away from a a Roman tax contract, Levi could never return. He literally was, he'd burn his boat by following Jesus. Levi was his Jewish name, but he had a Greek name as well, Matthew. From tax collector to apostle, from tax collector to writer of the first gospel, forgiven, accepted by Jesus. Now, there you have it. Uh, A fisherman who was overwhelmed by his sin, a leper in need of cleansing, a paralytic whose greatest need was forgiveness, a tax collector astonished by friendship. Remember, what is the key requirement for belonging to God's family? Key requirement 
is that you're not worthy to belong. The fisherman, the leper, the paralytic, the tax collector, these, these guys all knew that they needed Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they didn't think that they needed Jesus. They thought that they were good enough. They thought that they could belong to God's people simply by being who, who they were. They thought they were good enough. Levi felt so privileged by the friendship of Jesus that in verse 29, he threw a party. He put on a banquet uh, in honour of Jesus and he invited all of his friends, all of his tax collector mates and all these other kinds of people were there having this banquet with Jesus. The religious leaders were outraged. Verse 30. In verse 30, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? How about that? Now, these Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they weren't actually at the banquet. Uh, they would have been either outside or they've heard about it later and they've come back to Jesus and his disciples on another occasion. They wouldn't have been at this banquet. They wouldn't go anywhere near it. They would not associate with tax collectors and sinners because, well, they might become unclean. Their reputation might be damaged if they were to be seen with such people. Friends, throughout the Bible, we are taught to be wise about our associations. Psalm 1 tells us, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or seat in the seat of, seat of mockers. Throughout the Bible, and particularly in Proverbs, we are, you know, we are warned to be wise about the company that we keep. But that's because God wants us to be different. Uh, he doesn't want us to, to take on the sinful values and the actions of the world. He doesn't want us to become like the world. But he sure does want us to love the world. He wants us to love people. To recognise, as Peter helped us to think through in our prayer, uh, to recognise that there is no one who is righteous, not even one. That there is no one... Uh, who, who is worthy because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. From the self-righteous pride of the religious leaders uh, to the self-indulgent greed of the tax collector, there is no one who actually belong, deserves to belong to the family of God. And once we realise that about ourselves then the next step, if we haven't already done so, uh, is, to, uh, is to look to Jesus and to, to take hold of the, the forgiveness and the cleansing and the acceptance which he offers, which he has won for us on the cross when he died in our place. But that's not all, is it? Because then... Well, we will want to become fishers of men, won't we? Uh, we will want others to know about Jesus. All kinds of people from all walks of life. 
And so we will be people who are willing and who indeed want to, to step outside of our comfort zones, to connect with, uh, with all kinds of people who God brings upon our path so that they too might actually hear of Jesus and experience the healing and the, the, the saving love of the gospel uh, which we have experienced, that they would actually hear and experience Jesus through us. It's with a, uh, a touch of pointed irony that uh, Jesus in the last verse here said to the Pharisees, it isn't the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. God wants us to be fishers of men. God wants us to acknowledge our own unworthiness. God wants us to reach out to others and show them the love of Christ. Let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, we want to thank you for the great compassion of Jesus. Father, we thank you that he uh, uh, did not uh, seek his own reputation, but that he stepped out and he connected with all kinds of people, recognising the, the human need that we all have for uh, acceptance and for love and forgiveness. Father, we thank you that... Uh, through the gospel that you have touched our lives. We thank you that there have been people who have been prepared to reach out to us, to share with us about Jesus. And so, Father, we ask that you would strip us of any religious pride that we might have. Help us to be humble before you, to acknowledge, as Simon Peter did, that we are unworthy sinners. And, Lord, to, uh, to take that message of, the, of, of your love to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.